0: You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc.
1: Well, good morning, church family. Uh, so excited that you're a part of our gathering, whatever that looks like for you, uh, whether that's here in person, as we got a room full of people and people spread out across our building, even in overflow spaces. But we also know we've got a number of our families a part of our online gathering today. And uh, man, we believe, as we say every single week, Uh, That one, the church is not the building, okay, the church is the people of God. You are the church today, so thanks for showing up, uh, however you showed up. But then also, we believe that every time we gather together... Uh, man, it's a God-ordained moment, all right? It's not just good to be there, but that God meets us there, and he uh, makes investments into our lives. He pours truth and hope and encouragement and challenge into our lives, and today's going to be uh, no different than that, but at the same time, it's going to be a very unique day uh, as we do something we've never been before, and I'll, I'll kind of introduce Jared here in just a second and what's going to happen over the next little bit, but today we're wrapping up uh, the series that we've been out there at the Been in throughout the month of February called "Making Sense Make Sense," and we've been talking all about um, our money and our resources and how do we wisely handle those, and also how do we steward those in a way that would honor God. Uh, And and some of you may go, "Well, man, why would you spend a whole month talking about money? Like, really? Don't you know no one wants to hear the church talk about money?" Uh, And and here's our deal: is man, this series has not been about a condemnation of if you maybe feel like you got a lot of money or if you don't feel like you got much at all. But we've been here. to try to help. Uh, And in this series, it's been all about being very practical and helping us understand that first, it all belongs to God, but then second, it takes a plan to get money right in this world. We've all made a lot of mistakes when it comes to money. And in week one, we said uh, that money matters, okay? If you don't think it matters to you, you go drain your account and then let's talk tomorrow, okay? Uh, Money matters to all of us. It affects every one of our lives, whether you feel like you got a little or you feel like you got a lot. It matters, but in this series, we've also uncovered that money matters to God. Money money is ultimately a spiritual issue um, that we have to figure out how to obediently handle. And so in this series, we pray two things. Back on week two of the series, if you were a part with us, we prayed these two things. We said, um, God, give me understanding. And then we said, God, give me a plan. God, give me understanding. God, give me a plan. And a lot of this series has been all about that. Today, we're diving deep, all right, into having understanding, and also beginning to make a plan for our personal finances. And so to help us do that, uh, I've got a friend of mine by the name of Jared Nelson. Jared has become uh, a friend of my family's over the last three years or so. He's also become a friend of the exchange family, as he's made investments into my household personally, but he also made a lot of investments into this house as a faith family. And today uh, is going to uh, it's going to happen again. Jared has over 20 years of financial um, advisor investment Uh years of experience and today he's going to share that wisdom with us but here's what I would say first and foremost before uh, I let Jerry tell you a little bit about himself is that I can tell you from firsthand experience this is a guy who first loves Jesus okay he loves Jesus and he walks it out it's not something that he just talks about but it's something that he walks out and God's also just so happened to give him a lot of wisdom in the area of finances and so Jared's super super grateful to have you with us today uh, to make an investment into our family so that we can gain an understanding and gain a plan. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about you, your family, and a little bit about your background that got you to where you are in your career today.
0: Yeah, thanks, Brian. Excited about being here, and good morning to you guys that are here in person and online, and uh, just very excited about being able to maybe help kind of build up some practical skills for you guys today. Uh, But just a little bit about me. Uh, I'm happily married. My wife's named Kim. We've been married 16 years, and I have three kids. We have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old boy-girl-boy. And I grew up out near the reservoir, so some of you guys probably know where Old Fannin Road is. That was kind of my stomping grounds. And I still live kind of near there, not too far in that reservoir area. Uh, Went to college down in uh, Hattiesburg at USM, go Eagles. And uh, actually, I went down there initially because they have a great psychology program. And just my heart is to help people, and uh, they have a great program, so I went down there for that. Realized pretty quickly, I think I am too ADD for that career, so I went to my advisor and said, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And uh, anyway, they recommended I switch to business. So that's what I ended up doing. I graduated down there in 2000 and uh, just with a general business degree. And I really do. I think God's got a uh, pretty interesting sense of humor uh, because my two worst classes at Southern were finance and public speaking. And here I am on a stage speaking to the public about finance. And, uh, but, but God's been good to us. So excited to be here.
1: Man, we're super grateful to have you here and he's got a wealth of knowledge And so here's what I'm gonna say uh, as we get started today uh, for those of you here in person and online one today is a note-taking day Okay, so get that note app ready on your phone or a notebook. There's gonna be a lot coming at you It's gonna come really really quickly uh, So here's what I'm also going to say to you is that if at any point during today's gathering here in person Or as you join us for our online gathering if you're like, whoa, that was too fast. That was too much I didn't catch all those numbers uh, all of our gathering in the message uh, portion of today's Today's gathering will be all online, so you can catch it on the podcast or also go back and watch the video, or maybe even share that with a spouse who couldn't be a part of today or a friend uh, who might need that encouragement, because here's what I know. man: we come from a lot of different places financially, all right? There's a lot of people in the room today across our building and even online, and some of you may be sitting here today and you're like, oh, I didn't know it was Q&A about money. I got most of my money figured out. Okay, so so let me say this. Maybe today God's allowing you to be a part of this so that he can give you something to share with someone else, Mm -hmm. all right? We believe that's part of this gift life and then give it model that we uh, that we function under. And so today, maybe God's going to give you understanding that you could share with a friend. And so no matter where we are, we can all gain understanding. Um, over the last month, we've asked you to submit questions. So we're going to do our best today to get m- as many of those questions as possible in front of Jared, uh, because chances are a lot of us have the same questions. So uh, man, take notes, take notes, lean in uh, and be a part of what God wants to teach us today. Um, Jared, here's the first question. This one was not submitted, but this is my question to you is that, you know, we spent a whole month, and today we're like diving super practically deep, okay, uh, into our finances. So why in the world, all right, would a church spend this much time talking about money? Like how do God and money connect, right? Because money is the world's thing, God's our thing. Uh, they they want to know from somebody who's not a preacher, why would a church spend so much time talking about money?
0: yeah, and I think it's great that you guys are doing this, that you're teaching on this. And you know in the Bible, uh, money, stewardship, possessions, that kind of topic is mentioned over twenty, three hundred times. I mean, it was the single most talked about topic in the Bible, and that's because it's the number one competitor for our heart. And I wish I could tell you, like I've been doing the right stuff, you know, tithing all that. Uh, since I got out of college, I wasn't. you know, if I'm transparent when we got out of college, uh, when I got out of college, I wasn't biblically tithing. I wasn't, um, you know, following a plan to get out of debt. I wasn't saving wisely. And I looked at my money, the income that I made, as my money. You know, it's it's mine. And uh, when I changed my heart, and I guess if I have kind of a challenge for you guys today, any of you, especially if you're struggling with money, is maybe it's a heart issue. And And so for us, when we changed our heart, when I changed my heart, And I realized, you know what, it's all God's, not just the 10% tithe. That's definitely something in the Bible uh, that it says very clearly, test me in this, watch what happens, right? Overflowing blessings from heaven, all right? That's a good plan. Uh, But the other 90% I'm called to be a good steward of. And so when we changed our heart and I started looking at everything that he'd given us, all the income, savings, whatever, as it's all God's, I'm called to give 10% biblically tithe, the other 90% I'm called to be a good steward of. And we started doing the things along that line, giving above the tithe when we were called to. Um, paying off our debt, saving wisely, things like that, everything changed for us. And uh, so it made a huge difference. And so my heart for you is if you're not doing those baby steps, I'm going to teach you again, a lot of practical stuff on the board here today. We're going to talk a lot of numbers and tips and things like that, but none of that pills in comparison to your heart. If you'll get your heart right, if you're not tithing, um, you know, that one baby step right there can totally change. And I think of a story uh, one of the advisors that I work with is here today, Carrie Waslack over here on the second row, and our, it, it makes me think of a couple we met with, and this couple, it was a married couple, they were struggling with their finances, they were having a hard time, kind of paycheck to paycheck like a lot of folks these days, and uh, the, the deal was that the husband did not feel like they could tithe, didn't feel like they financially could do that, it just didn't work on the Excel sheet, and the wife felt led to do that even though it didn't work. And so my counsel to them, our counsel to them was for him not to, but her to tithe, Now, it gives me chills on my neck when I say that because it was literally two or three days later, she texts me back and she said, Jared, you know, when you met and you challenged us, you and Carrie, like, we didn't, I haven't even written my first tithe check yet, but I made a decision that day that on my income, not my husband's, but on mine, I was going to biblically tithe. I've not even written the first check, but when I got to work Monday, my boss said, hey, the business is going good. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was like she gave her a gas card and a bonus and a raise, and it was like a big, that had not happened, was not a normal thing, and I'm not saying like, don't start tithing today, so you can go to, I'm not promising you a gas card tomorrow, right, or a bonus or a raise, but here's the deal. When we line up, up. God's Excel sheets work different than ours. When we get our heart right, He blesses that, and you can't outgive God. And so again, if there's any takeaway, if you don't remember any of the financial practical stuff that I teach you guys today, get your heart rate, start biblically tithing, kind of taking those baby steps, seek wise counsel, get a plan, a budget, get out of debt, things like that, and God blesses that. And I'm thankful looking back that He steadied our cup before He filled it. I'm so thankful for that. So...
1: Yeah, great wisdom. and that is that's the foundation, as we said in week one, uh, money ultimately reveals our heart, right? It's a heart issue a lot more than it's a bank account or a how big is your paycheck issue. Uh, it points to the heart of the matter. So let's begin to dive into some of the questions that you guys have submitted across the last month. Uh, this is a good one, Jared. We all uh, are trying to figure out ways to save money. Uh, and so what are some of the common areas? that people, everyday people just like us can cut back and save money.
0: Yeah, and so there's, you know, lots and lots of areas that we can cut back on. I'll just give you four or five that are kind of big ones for Kim and I. And you know, one of those is eating out, and so an exercise that we'll do because I don't know, there were just times in our lives where we felt like we were, had money coming in, but we just don't know where it's going. And so some of you may have felt that way. It's just like well, I don't know where it's going. I mean, I see my fixed expenses, but there's just there's got to be holes in the bucket. And for us, eating out was one of those things. It was thirty dollars here, forty dollars there, fifty dollars there. And so what we would do practically is we would get a shoebox and we would sit the shoebox. And the rule was any money we spend we had to get a receipt and put it in the shoebox for a thirty day period. And at the end of the 30 days, we dumped it out and we piled up like the grocery and the eating out and all that. And before we added them up, I would ask him, hey, what do you think we're spending on eating out? And she would say, I think we're spending 200. And I'd say 300. And turns out it was 600. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's where the hole is, right? And so that, again, one little area for us was a biggie. It was eating out little uh, here and there during the week. So a practical thing you can do is get a budget and decide on an amount that fits in your budget. And if it's $200 a month for eating out, you can put that cash in an envelope. If you're married, maybe split it into two envelopes. But then once that money has gone from that envelope in the month of March, well, then that was your budget. You can't spend any more eating out. And if it's gone by the 10th of the month, well, now you know where your money's going. So that's one practical, okay? Another area is grocery shopping. Um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but if I go grocery shopping and I'm hungry, I get way more stuff. So don't ever go when you're hungry. Like right? eat a snack, like maybe a meal before you go. That cuts down on the impulse buys, right? And again, it's the little things. It's the three dollar thing, the four dollar thing, the five dollar thing that makes it a hundred. I mean, I can go up there for laundry detergent and walk out with seventy dollars worth of stuff. That is easy to do, right? And uh, so one of the things my wife has been doing recently, uh, is getting the, you know, kind of pre-orders. Well, then they'll bring it out to your car. Well, one of the disadvantages was they would always miss stuff. There was like three or four or five items. She would still do that, but then whenever they delivered it, it would show what was missing. Then she would go in the store to get those three or four things, but it cut down on the things that she had to pick out, cut down on the impulse buys. So that was an easy one for us to do. And using cash envelopes for groceries, just like eating out. Uh, again, if I have a $400 a month budget for groceries, put that in an envelope, use that, and that can kind of keep the uh, restriction on you for how much you can spend. A third one, um, any kind of impulse buys, that was my thing. I would see something uh, and just buy it. I'd be in Best Buy or Bass Pro or whatever. If it's over $50, we wait 24 hours. And so that's a great way to cut back on the budget without even really feeling it. If there's that new thing you need, it's $50, wait 24 hours. A lot of times, 24 hours later, you won't even want that thing anymore. And so that can save a lot. Um, A fourth one, the average cable bill, I looked this up the other day, is over $200 a month. And uh, so if you're spending that much on cable, I would look into some lower cost alternatives. There's things like Sling TV and Hulu and um, there's all different things you can do that, it, again, it's usually not saving 5000 a month. It's usually $20 here, $40 there, $50 there. That adds up. And then a last one would be, when's the last time you shopped your auto insurance and your homeowner's insurance? I just did this recently. I shopped mine. My auto insurance was pretty comparable to what it was before when I shopped it. But my homeowner's insurance, for whatever reason, uh, it was huge. I mean, it had been three or four years since I shopped it. It's saving us three or $4,000 a year. I mean, even at 3000 a year, that's $250 less a month uh, for comparable coverage. And so that's something that people just tend not to do, just the hassle factor of you know, making that one or two or three calls. Uh, but if it saves $250 a month, again, that could be a game changer for a lot of folks in paying off debt, saving, things like that. So those are just some that come to mind.
1: Yeah, some really, really helpful tips, and uh, hopefully you wrote a lot of those down, but uh, if you're kind of like me, you felt the weight of, oop, messed that one up before, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, But, man, all great things, areas we can cut, and begin to find some of that margin so that we can find the freedom. Uh, You know, throughout the series, we talked about debt, and, uh, man, that God did not pay our personal sin debt, all right, for us to live in in personal debt for the rest of our lives, but the truth is that around 80% of Americans right now Are living in debt, 80%. Okay. And some of you, like you joined today and you're like, well, I thought I was the only one. No, you're not. Okay. Eight out of 10 of us uh, are living in debt, 78% living paycheck to paycheck. So man, let's get really practical to talk about what's the best way in your 20 plus years, what's the best way to pay off the debt that we have?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And for those of you here in person and online, you know, the first question I'd ask is how would it feel to be completely debt-free? Like house and everything paid off. How would that feel? And some of y'all shoulders just drop like two, and just like wow, it's like this burden. I mean, do you guys know people that when the money's coming in, it's like already going back out the door to service debt payments? And, and for me, it was a way of life. I remember at 18 years old at Southern when I went down there, I got my first credit card at 18 and started maxing them out, running up new credit cards. By the time I got out of college. You know, the average college student today has about $3,500 in credit card debt. I had around $10,000 in credit card debt. And uh, so debt was a deal for me. I mean, it was a real thing that was real high interest rate, high payments, all that. And so getting out of that was one of the things that I focused on early on. And it is refreshing. It is great to be out of debt. So how do we do that? Well, I like what Dave Ramsey teaches. It's called debt snowballing or debt stacking. And so here's the kind of practical side of how to do this. What you do is you get out a clean sheet of paper and you list your debts out from smallest to largest and then you pay the minimums on everything but whatever extra you can pay, if anything, you attack that smallest one with what Dave Ramsey calls gazelle-like intensity. Pay everything towards that, minimums on everything else. And I've had people say, well, Jared, wouldn't it make more sense like mathematically be wiser to pay the highest interest rate one first? Because I've got some of those that are a little bit higher. Well, mathematically it would be, but most of personal finance is not math. I'd probably say 90 plus percent is psychology and human behavior. And here's the reality. When you line them up smallest to largest and you attack that small one and you see it's half what it was and then it's less and, less, and then it pays off, you get momentum going. You feel like you've, you've got the sense of accomplishment and they've done study after study on this. Statistically, you're way more likely to keep going. Okay, now here's the second step. You've paid the first one off. Whatever you were paying towards that one, 50 a month, 100 a month, you add that payment on top of the minimum payment of the second one. Now what that does, is it dramatically speeds up how fast you're going to get out of debt. Okay, now the second one's paid off. You add that one on the next one, maybe a vehicle, right? There's no law in Mississippi that says you can't pay your vehicle off in half the time or less. Okay, you keep going all the way through the house, and that pays it off dramatically faster. You know, An example I use uh, is a 35-year-old couple that they had, when I met with them, 23 years left on their home. Um, They had one vehicle they didn't have paid off, and they had three credit cards, and they were paying about $2,700 a month kind of in payments, the mortgage, the car, the credit cards, every month going out the door. And in their situation, they could not pay any extra a month. It was just the minimums. And so we lined them up, smallest to largest. Once the first one got paid off, we added it to the second one and kept going. So they didn't change their payment, same $2,700 a month all the way through. Here's the result, though. Instead of 23 years in debt, it paid it off 14 years sooner house and everything. They're out of debt in nine years. So now 35 years old when they started, 44 when they got it paid off. And at that point, think about a 44-year-old, now totally debt-free, $2,700 a month that was going out the door towards debt is now not coming from their left pocket out to Trustmark. It's going from their left pocket to their right pocket. Now what could they do with it? Save it. And if they saved that money, what they were spending on debt from 44 to 67, that's over 2 million extra dollars they would have at retirement just by paying their debt off and then saving it in the right place. And so I've got example after example after example where I've sat down with folks that had, you know, 25, 28, 27 years left on their mortgage, a few other debts. They debt stacked, didn't pay any extra. They're out of debt. Seven, eight, nine years house and everything totally changes your life. So that's the best way to uh, get out of debt.
1: Wow. Very practical stuff. And I think the, the good news of that is, from what I heard you say, it's not that you have to make more money. To pay off the debt that you have. That's right. I mean, once you attack that that bottom one, all right, and you feel the success factor, which we all need to feel, I mm-hmm. mean, um, you just begin to stack that on top of the others, and uh, it's amazing the margin that comes out of that. Uh, a lot of families uh, with kids and grandkids uh, throughout our spiritual family, and so one of the questions that was asked is, what is the best type of account? Uh, maybe if we've got a younger child, uh, preschool, elementary age what's the best type of account to put money into so that it would gain interest so that when uh, they're older, it would have a good bit of interest that it uh, added on top of that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And so there's really three kind of accounts that most people uh, put, and I'll write these out for you. Uh, Money in for kids. One is called a 529. Another one is called an UTMA. And the last one is what's called a non-qualified account. And so I'll talk about those three. Um, The first one would be somebody who wants to save for college. And so uh, what's called a 529 plan or a college plan is a great way to do that. Um, The way it works is pretty simple. You put money into that type of account, and it grows totally tax-free for really anything education-related. It used to be just for college, uh, but they changed the rule a couple years ago. Now it can be used for really anything kindergarten and up, private school, um, you know, vacational, technical school, whatever. And again, it grows tax-free, almost like a Roth IRA, which I'll talk about in a second. So that's a good one for college. Okay, a second one here, the UTMA, it stands for Uniform Transfer to Minors Act. It's kind of complicated, but this is actually gifting money to a minor, and in that situation, you're the custodian of it if you're the grandparent or the parent or the legal guardian, and you have to use it for their benefit, and then they get it at what's called age of majority in Mississippi, which is 21 years old. Um, we don't use this account personally, and here's why. Um, I'm not crazy about giving any lump sum money to twenty one year old version of me. I would have blown it, right? And uh, so being transparent today, and uh, so we don't use that one because the child gets legal you know ownership of it at that age. With the first one, uh, for my child, let's say for my oldest name, drew, we have that five twenty nine set up. I'm the owner of it. He's just the beneficiary. so there's no point where he has access to that unless I choose to give him access and use it for. Um, education, tuition, et cetera. And then the last one is called a non-qualified account. And so this would be like your savings account at your bank or your checking account. It's not qualified for any special tax treatment, any special tax purposes. It's just an account. Um, it's not tax-deferred, tax-free, and so what Kim and I do, we don't want to have too much, say, for college. We don't want to overfund those. So we calculated, okay, this is what college is going to cost, and we've got half of what it will cost for college set aside in 529s. That way it's growing tax-free. And then that, the reason we don't want to put more than that in there is maybe one of my kids doesn't go to school. Uh, maybe they don't need as much. Well, I can move it from one child's account to the other account. You can change beneficiaries pretty easy. But we've got the other amount, the other half of what college will cost in a non-qualified account that is a joint account with mine and Kim's name on it. We're the owner of it. The kids are nowhere on it. Uh, And it is, again, for their benefit, though. So I could use that for college. I could use that for a car. Uh, If one of them, if my middle child works really hard, gets into a more expensive school, there's extra there for that. Um, I could use it for a down payment on a home forum, maybe for a wedding. Uh, maybe I don't like my kids. We can keep it for us. And he's like, whatever you want to use it for, it, uh, it's still getting a good rate of return. It's kind of separated. It's not in our main accounts for us. It's intended for their use, but it gives me a little bit more flexibility. So those are kind of the ways to save. And we'll talk a second about um, what to put inside of those accounts to give it a good rate of return.
1: Mm-hmm. So much stuff. I hope that you're taking notes. It's like a uh, free 30-minute just Financial wisdom uh, dump that Jared's putting on top of us today. And so great stuff there as we think about our kids. Kind of thinking about the other end of the spectrum from kids to thinking about the end of working years, which is a real possibility. Maybe for some of us it feels like it's not. But uh, one of the questions that our church family asks is when should I start saving for retirement? I want that day to eventually be here. When should I start saving for retirement and how much should I save?
0: Yeah, a lot of people um, that I had counseled over the 20 years of me doing this since I got out of school. Um, They don't start, I think, for two reasons. If they haven't, it's usually one of two. It's one is they don't know where to start. They don't know what kind of account to set up. They don't know where to go. Um, The other thing is a lot of people have this myth that you have to have lots of money saved to be able to go set up an investment account or to start saving, and neither of those is true. Um, And I'll give you an example. Um, You know, if you look at somebody that is young, uh, 25 years old, uh, and start saving even a little bit, uh, at 25 years old... Uh, or any age, the minimum to start saving in a college account, retirement account, is $25 a month, which most of us blow on just junk every month. And so if somebody 25 years old started doing that, started saving the minimum $25 a month, and they increased it a little bit each year because their income's going to go up, they're going to be able to do more. So let's just say they increased that by 10% a year. What does that mean? That's $25 a month for a year, and then $27.50 for a year, and then $30 for a year, and just gradually increased it as their income went up. And they did this from 25 to 67. So that's a 42-year period. If they put it into a 401k at work, or a Roth IRA, a retirement-type account, and they make it up of what's called mutual funds, I'll talk about those in a minute, but let's say it averages an 11% rate of return. Well, starting off with 25 a month, doing that over that period, at the end of the day they would have $904,000 in that account based on that rate of return. And I was curious. I said, okay, well, that's based on you know, historical 10 to 12%, what mutual funds have done. What has it really done? So I went back 42 years to February of 1979, and I looked at it up through Friday, which was the last day the market was open, and it actually was more than this. Had somebody done this exact thing 42 years ago up through Friday, it actually would have turned into 1.09 million because it averaged a little bit better than 11. It averaged 12.45. And so, you know, anybody could start saving $25 a month for retirement. Now, second part of that is where do we go to put it? Well, there's this thing called order of investing. And so, what that means is where's the best place to save? Well, if you work somewhere that has a retirement plan like a 401k, especially if it matches, there's nothing that can beat that because that's free money. And so if you're putting in, let's say, 4% and they match 4%, that's an instant 100% return on your money. Even if they match half, you put in 4%, they put in 2%. That's an instant 50% return on your money. So you always want to put in up to whatever the match is. And I'll talk about allocating in a second. Okay, well, Jared, I don't have a retirement plan at work. I'm self-employed. They don't offer one. Well, the next best thing to do is what's called a Roth IRA. And it sounds complicated, but these laws, they were passed back in the 90s and since. It's really when you set the account up, you literally just check the box calling it a Roth and that puts this tax shelter around it. So it grows totally tax-free forever. The Roth IRA, I think, is probably the biggest mistake the government has ever made in our favor, because it lets us put money in there and it grows totally tax-free forever. So whenever we pull it out, we don't have to pay any taxes on it at all. It's a great, great way to save long term. Okay, now the two parts of it that you've got to understand is that's the account type, things like the 401k, the Roth. If you work at Nissan, it's a 401K. If you work for a hospital, it's a 403B. That's just the type of account. And I have people ask me, Jared, what kind of return does a Roth get? Or what kind of return does a 401K give? And that doesn't have anything to do with the rate it earns. That's just the type of account it is. You still have to put the second part of it, that's the investment inside of it. And so what are the different types of investments to choose from? Well, you think about your bank. What does a bank have? They have savings accounts, that's a type of investment. Um, You could put money in a CD. That's a type of investment. Um, You've probably heard of people putting in individual stocks. I don't recommend that, but that's a type of investment. Uh, And then there's retirement plans that are made up of what's called mutual funds. And so mutual funds is the key. Um, All 100% of retirement plans in America are made up of mutual funds. Here's the problem. Nobody has taught this stuff in school. I for sure wasn't. I mean, I had finance classes at Southern and business classes, and uh, they never taught any of the practical stuff. And so people kind of go through life with little bits and pieces of information, and they don't really understand it. And so I think this is a huge part is understanding just what a mutual fund is because the rate of return is huge. In this example, had this person saving $25 a month done it consistently exactly the same but at a bank at a regular savings account rate of return, instead of those numbers it would only be $161,000. And so, let's, I mean, that's a lot of money, but let's think about it. We get to retirement. Does that make a difference? Like one person has $161,000 saved and the other one has 900000 saved. Does that make a difference in retirement? It's not a difference, It's the difference, right? That's like one of them is limited income, one of them is financially independent. Okay, so what is a mutual fund, right? What is that? Well, here's the idea. If two or three or four of us in this room brought all our money up here and piled it up on this table, we wouldn't have enough money to hire the best people in the world to manage it. But if a few of us and maybe two or three million people from out there all piled our money together, we mutually funded an investment, that's why they're called mutual funds, maybe came up with a billion dollars or $10 billion, then what we could do is different. We could take a real small percentage of that and hire and pay the best people in the world to manage it for us. And those are companies like you've heard of, Vanguard, Fidelity, American Funds. You've heard of companies like that. Maybe your retirement plan at work is with Boyer or one of these other big ones. Those are management companies. They have professionals that manage money and invest it for us. Because most local people don't have the research tools, the research globally to do that stuff. Okay, well, what do they do with the money, Jared? Well, in a growth mutual fund, what they do is they go out there and they buy ownership in companies. An example would be, they go out there and spread it out over two or three hundred different companies. Because what did grandma tell us? Grandma said, do not put all your eggs in one basket. So they don't do that. They research these companies thoroughly, the Amazons and the Facebooks and all these companies, and they do that globally. And if these companies look like wise investments and they've done their due diligence, then they'll put a little bit of it in there, typically not too much in any one company. So again, my 100 bucks or even my $25 is not in one company. It's spread out over 300 different companies and that team of managers is watching it 24-7. So if one of those companies starts doing bad, they feel it's not gonna be good, they'll pull our money out, put it somewhere else. Now, here's the danger of mutual funds. If you've got a 401k at work and you're in growth funds or a Roth IRA, it's gonna go like this over time. It's kind of the up and down you've seen, right? And so the danger is not that it can go to zero. The only way a mutual fund could go to zero is if all 300 companies all went out of business on the same day, at the same time, had zero liquidating value. That's impossible. But the danger is short periods of time, which is five years or less, it will go up and down. Last year is a perfect example. If you had $10,000 in your 401k in January last year, and you were watching it, right? By March, when COVID hit, like Delta, like stock went down, people stopped flying, those companies, those 300 companies, temporarily went down in value. It went from 10000 down to about $8,500. Okay, Now, Delta, when it went down in price, doesn't mean Delta's not a good company. It just meant temporarily people aren't fine. Their profits went down. Their stock price went down. As long as people who had that $10,000 in there, when it dipped last year in March, left it alone... You can never lose the number of shares you have, just the share price fluctuates. By May, it came right back up to 10,000. And by the end of the year, it was around 12 or 13,000. So, the danger of mutual funds is what's called volatility. That means that it's gonna go up and down. So, if you can't stomach that short term up and down, you don't need to be in mutual funds. But the only way to get a consistent, higher rate of return without the risk of it going to zero is mutual funds. And so, again, it's the difference of 161,000 versus a million is a huge difference, and the reason is because of the rate of return. So that's kind of how to do it um, with the two main types of accounts, which are retirement plans at work and Roths, and then putting funds in it and just leaving it alone when it dips short term. Mm -hmm.
1: So much packed in there, just about the idea of retirement, okay? And, And all of us, I think we long to get there. And so just a reminder, as so we're kind of working through these questions. That I know there's a lot coming at you. Maybe you missed some details. You'd love to hear something played back. Don't forget um, that all of today's gathering will be available again on our YouTube channel, social media, and also our website. So you can go back and kind of recap some of what Jared just hit there uh, with retirement, if that's uh, something you want to go a little deeper into. Uh, next question, Jared, is uh, how long does it take to get financially independent. And I think those words are interesting. I know you're going to explain them. How long does it take to get financially independent as a couple or as a household?
0: Yeah. And so financially independent, just to define that, that means that you have enough money saved one day where you can live off of the interest that it earns. And so an example, a simple one would be if I have a million dollars in my investments in my mutual funds, my IRA, whatever it is, and it's, you know, I'm pulling out 5% a year, That means it's paying me $50,000 a year without touching the principal, without actually touching the million dollars. And so that's the idea. You want to get to a point where you have enough saved, where you can live off just the interest from it. And actually, it's even better if it's earning more than you're pulling out, so it grows over time to keep up with inflation. Okay, well, how long does it take to do that? Well, the earlier you start, the less you have to save to hit the goal. So in this example that I showed you, you know, a 25-year-old starting off saving $25 a month, increasing it a little bit each year they'll be financially independent down the road. Well, Jared, what if I started saving more than that? If I save double that and I'm 25, starting out, say, 50 a month, well, interestingly, it would be exactly double this. They would end up at the same time with $1.8 million. And so that sounds like a lot, and it is, and that would be financially independent, but also 42 years from now, are things going to cost the same as they do today or probably cost more? Probably cost more, so you want to make sure you've got more than what you think you need today, okay? Well, Jared, I'm a little bit older than that. I'm not 25. Uh, What what if I'm, let's say, 35? Okay, well, let me give you an example for a 35-year-old. How long would it take them to get financially independent? Okay, so a 35-year-old, let's say that they take their tax refund. The average tax refund in Mississippi last year was about $3,000. And so if they saved that, not even saving at work, but just save $3,000 a year or $250 a month, and they did that from 35 to normal retirement age, 67, which is 32 years, same thing, stick it into a Roth IRA or a 401K, same rate of return, 11%. Uh, average rate of return over that time frame, they would have over $1 million in that account. And again, this is with increasing it a little bit each year, increase at 5% a year. So even somebody that's a little bit older, they could do it. Okay, well, Jared, I'm not even in my 30s or 40s. I'm 50. What could I do? Okay, well, let's look at a 50-year-old. You take a 50-year-old, and let's say that they are making the average income of 50000 a year, which is around 56000 a year, I think, is the average income nationwide. Okay, let's say they get to a point where they could save 10% of that. If they saved $5,000 a year, Jared, I don't think I could do that. There's just no way, not on 50,000 a year. Well, that goes back to, I think, one of the earlier questions was the budget. You'd be amazed at how a little bit here, a little bit there, cutting back, i, I a lot of times sit down with folks that had easily six, $700 a month that could be freed up in their budget, money going out the door without changing their lifestyle. But let's say they could get to that point, saving 5,000 a year, increase it by 10% a year. Well, from 50, age 50 to age 67, so that's 17 years, would they have a million dollars? No. But based on those earlier rates of return, they would still have 464,000 which would throw off close to 2000 a month of income conservatively. And so you look at that with Social Security, now they've got some steady income coming in, and that, that really can make a huge difference after 67, whether they have to keep working part-time, whether they have to sell their house and downsize. Uh, so it's whatever age somebody's at Uh, I think saving it, I think key there is in the right types of account, in the right places. A lot of times it's not even how much somebody's saving. It's where they're saving at the rate of return they're getting that makes all the difference for them.
1: Yeah. So no matter where we are, no matter what age, man, it's finding the plan and then working the plan. uh, And God can bring health and freedom on the other side of that. Uh, Let's kind of tackle some culturally relevant topics, Jared. Uh, Some of the questions we were asked is, should I invest in uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, uh, or like they do on Reddit?
0: Yeah, I get this question a lot these days because it's so trendy, right? It's like the trendy thing to do. And Bitcoin's gone up so much. And Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, for those that don't know what that means. Uh, means it's a digital currency. It's not backed by anything. And it's, it's what's called speculative. And I don't like speculative investments that are purely based on what people think they are worth. Gold would be an example of something that's speculative. And you'll see a lot of things in the news right now, like gold is the safe haven, the reality is, is that the people that make money on gold are the people that buy and sell it. They get commissions on the buying and selling and charging of shipping fees and things like that. I mean, there was even one point in the 1900s where gold went up to a point, a high, and went down and took 50 years to come back to that point. I, I, I don't like risk. I don't want to put my money in anything that could take 50 years to come back in price. And so Bitcoin is speculative. Um, even last week, Monday, I think it was at 57,000. On Monday, uh, it was down to 48,000. So just in a week's time, in a few days, it went down 14 to 15%. And then you start digging in, like Bitcoin specifically, we don't even really know who the owner is. Not the owner, but the creator goes by an alias. We don't even know who it is. It's completely unregulated. Um, It's, again, very speculative. You see people like Elon Musk with Tesla investing in it. Uh, The companies that are doing that, their stock prices are getting hammered because of that, because they're basically adding risk to their company's portfolio of something that could cut in half overnight. And uh, and then kind of piggybacking on that, the thing about Reddit, Reddit is where people get together and then they kind of decide on what stocks to buy and they're what's called day trading. And so they're buying a stock and selling it higher as the goal. Well, day traders usually on average over time earn about a 3% average rate of return. And you'll see them a lot of times on social media. I made this or I made that. They don't talk about when they lose, right? They don't ever post that part of it. And uh, so the danger, I would never be uh, in any kind of cryptocurrency. I wouldn't be in any individual stocks with any real money uh, because WorldCom, Lehman Brothers Enron, there's lots of examples of A company that was a good company just had internal management fraud that caused the stock to go down, and uh, so not a big fan. I just don't like anything that's risky where I could lose my money, uh, could go to zero, so would avoid those things. Mm
1: -hmm. Great wisdom on some uh, culturally relevant topics that are... Hot right, right now, what are some uh, red flags, okay, as we think about uh, gaining understanding? It's great to have a counselor and advisor in your life uh, that helps you in the area of finances. For some of us, maybe it's the person in the next cubicle, all right, or maybe we've dug a little deeper to actually find somebody with a little credibility. But as we think about putting a financial advisor into our life, what are some red flags that we should look at uh, as we look towards maybe finding an advisor?
0: Great question. And so when you're talking to financial advisors, I think the biggest tip I'd give you is go with your gut. You know, ask yourself after you meet with them, is this person trying to teach me? Do they have a heart of a teacher? Are they educating or is it a sales thing? Um, there's lots of things you can ask them to. I love asking questions. So don't ever feel bad about asking questions. One of the biggest ones I would ask is, how do you get paid? Like, don't feel bad about asking that question. And know that there's three main ways that financial advisors get paid. One of them is they'll do kind of some flat fee. It might be $500 to put a plan together or $300 an hour. I'm not a huge fan of that one because most folks, number one, don't have three, 500 a $1,000 to pay somebody to do that for them. Uh, but also, if they're getting paid per conversation or per the hour, we will, just as human beings, tend to not ask the questions we should ask. It's like, I don't know if I should ask that because it's going to cost you every time you ask. So that's one, again, that is out there. That's not as popular as the second one, though. What most financial advisors do is they do what's called fee-based planning. And so their idea or the way they do it is they'll put your investments in an account and then they'll charge you two different ways. One they show you, one's kind of hidden. Uh, the hidden one is they'll put you in mutual funds and stocks and ETFs, but all mutual funds have what's called an expense ratio. Uh, it never shows up on your statement, but that's the money that is goes to American Funds or whoever the company is to pay the people to manage it to invest the money out of that expense ratio, they pay the advisor a quarter percent typically. So 0.25%, and I'm okay with that. I think the advisor should get paid a quarter percent a year is fine. Now, what the fee-based advisors will do is they'll do that, plus they'll charge you a 1% asset-based fee. So that means that if you have $100,000 in the account... They're charging you 1% a year, which is $1,000 a year, to be your advisor. So it's almost like they're double-dipping. I don't like that because mutual funds aren't that complicated. If you get the right mutual funds that are real low-cost, long track record, great managers, it depends on how long, but most people... 20, 30, 40 years old, it's going to be 20 or 30 years before they need to make any changes. If they pick the right ones on the front end, there's no need to pay somebody 1% a year to not do anything for 20 or 30 years until they need to reallocate it. It just needs to be in something that's not charging that 1%. Because even 1% fee can mean the difference of having 50% more money in your retirement. That's going to an advisor. So the third way is what Dave Ramsey recommends, and that's to get what's called Class A shares. Those have a one-time upfront charge and no ongoing asset-based fees. So there's none of that 1% a year for 30 or 40 years. Um, So I I align with what Dave Ramsey says is to get the account set up and then get it in the low cost and don't pay that 1% a year fee for the next however many decades you're going to be investing.
1: Mm -hmm just a few questions left uh we begin to think towards summer it's not that far away and uh, a lot of families or individuals or households couples who would love to take a vacation uh, but a lot of us feeling strapped and right now we're like oh goodness i got to pay off all my debt so how is it possible jared for us to think about doing something like a vacation or an activity it's fun for our family or maybe even an ongoing hobby without going into debt
0: That's great, and so there's two times a year that people tend to spend more on their credit cards than they can pay off in that month, and that's what leads to revolving debt that they can't pay off. Those two times are summer vacations and Christmas because we gotta get stuff for our kids, right? And so the way to beat that is decide ahead of time. If you wanna spend, say, $1,000 on a big summer vacation, then save by dividing that by 12, which would be $83 a month, and look at it like it's a bill. A lot of banks have a place where you can set up an extra free savings account, it uh, doesn't cost anything. And so if you want a $1,000 vacation, you put $83 a month into that extra account, kind of set it to the side. Now, when it comes time to have your vacation, you always have that money. And so you literally just transfer it over whenever you pay bills. And the same would go with hobbies. If you've got a hobby that costs $500 a year, whatever, you just divide it by 12. And then every time you get a paycheck, every time you get paid, you put that over into that hobby account, that fun account, that vacation account, whatever you want to call it. And that way you're planning for it, you're budgeting for it. And you could use that for Christmas or whatever, but it's, it's deciding ahead. What are the times of the year, I'm going to have bigger expenses than normal uh, and saving towards that just by dividing by 12 and sitting it over. And that keeps you from running up those credit card bills you can't pay off.
1: Two questions left. Uh, As we think about younger kids, I know you've got some at your house. I've got some at my house. We have a role to not only disciple them towards Jesus, but I think part of that is we understand that money matters to God. It also means, hey, we've got a responsibility to help show them how to be wise financial stewards of what God's entrusted to us. And so um, what are some things that we can do to teach our kids, or maybe it's grandkids in your case, um, how to make wise choices financially at an early age so maybe they don't make some of the mistakes that some of us have made?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing with kids, grandkids, is we've got to set a good example, and then we've got to talk about what we're doing, too. Uh, I remember the household I grew up in with my parents. I love them to death. I don't ever remember sitting around like the kitchen table talking about any of this kind of stuff. And I think that's because you can't teach somebody something you don't know. And my parents just weren't taught that stuff. I don't ever remember anybody sitting down with them teaching them that kind of stuff. And so they weren't able to teach us that stuff. And so when when Kim and I got married and we started having kids, one of the things that we do is we talk to them about tithing and giving above the tithe and paying off debt and saving. And a practical thing we did when our kids turned five, we give them this thing called a green light card. Uh, It's a little debit card that's got their picture on it. Um, they have to have $20 to start it, so they have to do chores around the house. So I tell them right before their fir- you know fifth birthday, and they have to save it up, pick up sticks or whatever. But once they have the $20, we get it. The disadvantage to it is it costs $5 a month per child uh, per one of the little debit cards, but it's a great tool for education. And uh, so the way it works is they get it. They set their little PIN number. It's a Visa, MasterCard-type deal, but it's got their picture on it, and it's got three different parts to it. It's got a save account, a spend account, and a give account. And so when they get birthday money or they make money doing chores around the house, then we can choose kind of which account it goes in. The save part of it, I pay the interest. And so I've set the interest where automatically any money they leave in the account on the first of the next month, it earns a certain amount of interest. So it teaches them delayed gratification. If they leave it in there and just don't spend it all, they have more the first of the next month. But a kind of side thing that happened that we didn't even realize is it's cut down on a lot of the fights and the tension we had at stores because we're giving them more freedom to spend their money. And so like my eight-year-old Drew, even when he was six, we would go to Walmart, and before we had the little green light cards, he, he was begging, like, I want this, I want that, I want this, and we just have to tell him no. Uh, sometimes we'd give in and buy him something, but there was really not lessons there. Well, now he's got his little green light card. He's been saving money from chores and birthday money, and he'll look at something. He's like, oh, I want this, and I'll say, okay, sure, but you're paying for it. You know, have you got your card with you? And even if you forgot it, I don't mind him paying me back with it, but he'll look at it. He'll pick up a toy and be like, $14 for that? No way, and put it back on the shelf. And it's done. It's like the begging's over. So he's learning the value of a dollar. It's like in his little six-year-old mind, he's like, "Do you know how many sticks you got to pick up to make that? That is not worth that many sticks, right? And uh, so it helps them learn those lessons. Okay, another thing with that is we are teaching them to give, but it's not a pressure thing. Um, A couple weeks ago with the winter storm, there is a nonprofit called Shower Power that was paying for a lot of the homeless folks to get in hotel rooms for the three or four days. And uh, so they were raising money for that. So I saw that on Facebook and I got my two kids, my six and my eight-year-old together. And I said, hey, there's, and I told them the situation, what was going on. I said, you guys, whatever you give, I'll match it. And uh, so I do these little matching giving things to kind of make their dollars go further. Well, my six-year-old Abby, uh, my daughter, she had $58 in her account. She's like, I want to give it all, right? So like, she'll be in a heartbeat. She'll give everything. I was like, no, 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 right? Let, let's not do that. But the number was $25 each. That's what they decided on. I let them decide, but it, I kept it within reason. So I matched matched. that and we gave the $100 and then I took it out of their account, transferred it back to my parent wallet. So now think about that down the road. She's six. Now down the road, 10, 15 years from now, she's already tithing. She's already giving. She's already earning. She's earning interest. She's learning how that works. She has a little debit card, right? She goes in the little store. She puts it in there, turns around to me. What's my pin number, dad? Like, no, (laughs) got to teach her a little pin number. uh, But it's learning all those little lessons and that's just an easy way to do that. So that's some, again, practical tips to help kids early on.
1: So valuable. You know, our kids are so moldable in so many different ways, and that includes in how we teach them about resources. Since we've uh, hung out with you, we got a green light card for my youngest at my house, and it's so cool to watch those light bulbs go off of the realities of life, uh, but also how to wisely steward that. Hey, as we uh, kind of wind down today, our final question you know, a lot of us were into the four week series, and uh, maybe you're feeling a little hopeless because. Maybe you're part of that 80% that's in debt, and you're going, I don't know that I'll ever get out. I don't know that I ever can make a way out. So uh, maybe somebody's saying, hey, I'm I'm already cutting corners with my budget. I'm already not getting the expensive coffee or the whatever it is, um, but it doesn't still seem like it's enough. What can I do? So speak to somebody who maybe is feeling uh, hopeless in that today.
0: Yeah, so there's two things I would tell you here. If you're not buying the Starbucks coffee and you're not eating out a ton and you really feel like you're watching it, first thing I'd tell you is still seek wise counsel. Have somebody kind of take a look at what you're spending, your budget, because a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. And we just got holes and blind spots and we can't see. And so maybe somebody with a little bit more experience or maybe a different life circumstances, they could look at it and say, well, here's some areas you may not have thought of that you could save in. And again, going back earlier, I mean, it's not usually $5,000 of savings. It's usually the little ones, the 20 here, the 10 there to the 15 there that adds up to give you margin. And so that's one thing. Second thing is, it may actually really be that you just don't have a lot of room, a lot of wiggle room. You really are cut back. Well, in that situation, I think you've got to change the question. You've got to change the the perspective, the way you're looking at it. Now ask the question, how can I make more money? And so a lot of people aren't thinking that because they're just in the routine of their job. And so it might be a part-time job. You know, a lot of people, it's called the gig economy today. They're looking for, you know, kind of a side job to do. Uh, But it also could be looking at your current job and thinking, how could I become more valuable where I work now? I think a lot of us kind of have a flawed look. It's like, I'm not making much money, so I'm gonna work just hard enough to, because they're not paying me that much. Uh, you know, As an employer, I've had employees for a long, long time now, I look for employees that are being proactive. And so maybe instead of having the mindset of I'm only gonna work as much as they're paying me, go in thinking, how could I be more valuable, not as a human being, but as an employee, it could be showing up late, I mean, early, staying late. It could be um, better attitude. It could be working. It could be learning a new school. But when I see employees, like, being proactive, it makes me want to give them raises and bonuses and help them out because they're doing above and beyond what, what, what I'm already paying them. And then it also may be, last thing, is getting a new job. And that doesn't mean quit your job because you don't have a great environment. The best time to get a job is when you have a job. So keep your job. But there could be something out there that pays you an extra $500, $1,000 a month with your current skill set. When's the t- last time you looked? And so that might be, again, game changer. $1,000 a month for most folks, game changer for their finances.
1: So much good stuff. It really, really is. And uh, there, there is hope. Mm-hmm. There is hope. There is a way out. You know, if I could sort of summarize the last four weeks Uh, Maybe in one sentence or one statement that if if money or if making sense is going to really make sense uh, It requires putting god first acknowledging that it all belongs to him uh, Gaining understanding which we're all trying to seek to do and you got to make a plan You're not going anywhere without a plan uh, And then it's living out the plan and so man my hope in this series is that god's uh, man just poured wisdom and information and hope and encouragement into us and into a really difficult topic for some of us Uh, And now we can begin to live out that plan. Here's what I'd say to you as our our spiritual family here uh, in the room and in living rooms all over our community. uh, Man, we want to help you. Okay, We want to help you. That's what this series has been all about. And so uh, one of those ways may be that we just begin to pray for you. And we can do that. And so if you're here in person today, before you uh, leave our gathering space, if you'll grab that connection card that's underneath your seat, you can just say, hey, here's my name, and I'm just asking you to pray for me. And our staff team would love to be able to do that. We'll pray for you this week. Um, Also, for those of you online, there's a number where you can just simply text your name in. Uh, But here's what some of you may be thinking. Hey, I need more understanding. I need help. I need a better plan. I need to talk with somebody. So if you would like to connect with somebody like Jared or someone from his team to help give you more understanding, Maybe on a personal level, I know that they would love to make that investment into you. And so if you'll just uh, share your name, maybe on your connection card, or you can text your name in, private message us, email us here at our building, uh, at our office. We would love to help bridge that and make that connection so that God can bring understanding and encouragement and hope into your life uh, in that area. So here's what I would say, man, just from our spiritual family to Jared, who's made a huge investment in us. Man, could you help tell Jared thank you for his investment into our spiritual family? Thanks for
0: listening to this message from The Exchange. If you would like to talk to someone about your faith journey, you can contact us through our website, www.theexchange.cc, or by calling or texting 601-601-601. 397-6111 now let's go be the church